Welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta, where we are committed to changing lives with faith, hope, and love. We're so glad you are here. Our second reading is from the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verses 11 to 21. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name inscribed that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, wearing fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a scepter of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly in mid-heaven, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of the mighty, the flesh of horses and their riders, flesh of all, both free and slave, both great and small. Then I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed in its presence the signs by which he deceived those who had received the brand of the beast and those who worshiped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were killed by the sword of the rider on the horse, the sword that came from his mouth, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a special Sunday. We call it Christ the King Sunday. You might not know, but the church calendar runs from Advent to Advent. So today we are at the end of the church calendar year. Today we reach the end of Jesus' journey. At Christmas we celebrated Jesus' birth. At Good Friday we remembered his death. On Easter we celebrate his resurrection. At Pentecost we remember how Jesus ascended to heaven and gave to us the Holy Spirit to be our guide. For summer and fall, we focus on how to live out our faith as Christians. For although Jesus came into this world, we know the world is not yet made perfect. Most of the year is spent in an in-between time. And the church calendar calls it ordinary time. It's a time of waiting, a time when we acknowledge that Jesus has already come and Jesus has yet to come. In the Gospel of John, Jesus describes this time as a betrothal period. It's when the marriage proposal has been made, but the wedding hasn't happened yet. We are in a betrothal period until we hit today. In John 14, Jesus reassures his disciples with these words. You might recognize them. In my Father's house, there are many rooms I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you will also be. These are the words of a first century groom to his bride, because between the proposal and the wedding feast, there is work to be done. But today, we celebrate the end of that work, the end of that wait. 
On Christ the King Sunday, we celebrate Jesus' return. But what does the return look like? Our second reading from Revelation chapter 19 gives us one vivid depiction of what it could be like. This passage starts out like a fairy tale and ends like a slasher film. But we're going to start with the fairy tale part. A handsome prince on a white horse galloping into the frame. His eyes are blazing. His head is crowned. He's leading a vast army. I'm not sure if he's handsome. That's how I imagined it. This is the heir to the throne of David, the righteous king, the knight in shining armor upon his fiery steed. Our hero has arrived. It's a powerful message because we are people hungry for heroes. And we cheer when the hero arrives. We even cheer when fictional heroes arrive. In her children's message, Ms. Nally mentioned the fictional superheroes that our children look to. You may have a fictional superhero that you know and love as well. It's okay if you do. Over the years, Americans have created a pantheon of superheroes. And today, of the top 10 highest grossing movies in the world, four are superhero movies. Superheroes are making a comeback. All four movies were produced in the last 15 years by Marvel Studios, which came out of Marvel Comics. And since 2008, Marvel has released 29 films and raked in almost $28 billion in sales, all because we are hungry for a hero. Their top grossing movie is called Avengers Endgame. You don't have to have watched the movie to hear the sermon, but I will tell you the punchline. It's a movie about a larger than life villain, the villain to end all villains, who threatens to obliterate the world as we know it. And the one and only thing that can stop him is a coalition of superheroes. A coalition of superheroes that join together. And so we have Spider-Man and Iron Man, Black Panther, Black Widow, Thor, Captain America, Captain Marvel, Doctor Strange, the Incredible Hulk. There are actually more than that. They all join together to face off against this villain. This movie is a cosmic battle between good and evil, and the fate of the universe hangs in the balance. This movie has been watched by over 100 million people worldwide. Many of them have seen it more than once. I've seen it five times myself. <laughs> Why? Why watch a movie? The ending never changes, and the story isn't a new story. It's an old story. And on top of that, it's a kind of scary movie for young children. There's a lot of death and destruction. There's suffering, there's pain, but there's also redemption and salvation. And ultimately, good wins. Our Bible has a story like that in it. Our Bible has a story like that. A cosmic battle between good and evil with the fate of the universe hanging in the balance. We have that story. We call it the book of Revelation. Now, have you ever read Revelation? 
Have you been afraid to read Revelation? Many of us are. Our Faith Builders Sunday School class took the plunge this fall, and they have been studying the book of Revelation. And what they are discovering is that this book is meant not to terrify us, but to comfort us. And that seems a strange claim, because Revelation is tough reading. It may be the goriest book in the Bible. It rivals the Old Testament book of Joshua with its violence. You may not have read the book of Joshua either. You may have been afraid to read it. This is a book that describes how Israel comes into the promised land, and it includes charming episodes like impalement, stonings, burnings, and mass genocide. Reading Joshua is like reading a revenge fantasy. It seems to describe all the horrible ways one's enemies could die. And sometimes Revelation comes across like that. Scary, gory, not for the faint of heart. Both books are unsettling, both raise serious questions. I believe both books are often misunderstood. Here is how I understand Revelation. I believe Revelation isn't written for the winners, the strong, the mighty. I believe it's written for the victims, the afraid, the abused, the oppressed. It's written for those who have been stepped on and knocked down, whose rights have been taken from them, whose resources have been seized. Revelation wasn't written to tell people about hell. I don't think it was. I think it was written to tell people living through hell there was still hope. And to those people crying out for justice, crying out to God, Revelation offers redemption. We live in a world that needs redemption. This fall, Must Ministries has given a record amount, over $100,000 in assistance to people in our community who are on the brink of homelessness. Our food distribution line continues to be packed week after week. Last week, we served nearly 250 households. Over the last month, our church has seen more and more people come through the front doors asking for basic necessities. Food, shelter, transportation, medical care. Some people even offer to take up odd jobs, anything to help support their families. A guy last week offered to mop our floors. It's hard to sit with that kind of desperation. It's hard to hear the stories, especially when we feel like we have so little to offer. I am painfully aware in every conversation, that the need is not just deep, it is wide. It's not just food. It's adequate shelter, it's stable employment, it's affordable medical and psychiatric care. And every person who walks into this building looking for help is a stark reminder of all the ways our world is broken. Friends, we have managed to walk on the moon but our neighbors still walk the streets hungry and cold. Our neighbors are crying out for justice. Our world is crying out for justice. 
We need a hero. But who are we following? In the 1920s, one man ran the city of Chicago. It wasn't the mayor or the police chief, it was Al Capone. Al Capone, the notorious gangster, linked to over 200 murders during his seven years in power. Al Capone raked in $100 million a year through his operations. What kind of operations? Bootleg liquor, gambling, and prostitution. Al Capone, the man that many considered public enemy number one, thought himself a public benefactor. Hear what he said in one interview of the time. He lamented his reputation. Al Capone said, I give the public what the public wants. I've given people the lighter pleasures, and all I get is abuse. Now, some of the locals agreed with the estimation he held, had of himself. They sung his praises. Why? Because Al Capone was generous to the little guy. He was known for financing a soup kitchen during the Great Depression that served 2,000 people a day, no questions asked. Some people felt very indebted to him. One woman described him as kind and doting, like a favorite uncle. In his mind and in the minds of his followers, Al Capone was a hero. And see, that's how easy it is. That's how easy it can be to fall in line with the wrong hero. Now, maybe you never put your trust in Al Capone, but there are plenty of other would-be heroes in our midst, false heroes in our midst. Are you following one? Who are you following? Whose voice are you listening to? Whose advice are you taking? Whose life are you modeling your life after? These are important questions. What hero are you following, and how is that hero leading you? My seven-year-old has found a hero. This Halloween, he dressed up as Batman. He didn't have a Batmobile or a Batcave, but he did have a face mask and a long black cape and a padded bodysuit that gave him bulging biceps. For one night, he roamed the mean streets of East Cobb with all the righteous conviction of Bruce Wayne. In that bat suit, he was big and strong and tough. This is how we often think of heroes, big and strong and tough. Sometimes this is how we think of God, too. This is our cultural idea of a hero, a hero that's worth following. Now, Miss Natalie told you that I also dressed up as a superhero for Halloween. I dressed up as Mighty Thor, and I came to the, uh, I came to the trunk or treat here at the church in full costume with a cape and armor from head to toe and a hammer, a larger-than-life hammer because that's what Mighty Thor carries. And I thought it was hilarious until I started handing out candy to the children who were terrified of me and did not want to stop at my car. <laughs> I finally had to give the candy away to Batman so that they would come up because that's the truth of it. Sometimes we think of heroes as being big, strong, and tough, but we're also find big, strong, and tough intimidating, terrifying, and maybe that's how you think of God. 
And maybe you think God is terrifying. I'm here to tell you that's not the case. We might be expecting a big, strong, tough hero as we read Revelation 19. And if we did, we would be disappointed. Yes, we have a white horse. Yes, we have a faithful army. Yes, there's even a sword weirdly coming out of our hero's mouth. Yes, there is a crown on his head. But did you notice the blood? Did you notice he's wearing a robe splattered with blood? And you might be thinking, so what? What hero doesn't have to get his hands a little dirty in the pursuit of justice? But here's the thing. We don't meet this king on his way coming back from battle. We meet him on his way into battle, whose blood is all over his robe. It's not the blood of the saints. It's not the blood of the sinners. It's not the blood of the enemy. The king's robe is soaked with his own blood. Our hero is bleeding out and he hasn't even made it to the battlefield. I don't know about you, but I want my money back. What kind of hero is this? What kind of hero is this? Who would follow such a leader? Who would follow a dying king? Would you? Would I? See, that's the question, the central question of Christianity. Can we follow a dying king? Can we follow a dying Christ? And that's what it takes. The hero of our faith doesn't come to us big, strong, and tough. He comes to us small and weak and vulnerable. He sacrifices himself for the sake of the world. He empties himself out and calls us to live likewise. The journey of discipleship is not for the faint of heart. Because we worship an upside-down king of an upside-down kingdom. We worship a hero unlike any other. May we have the courage to follow. Let us pray. Jesus, we believe that you have died, you have risen, and you will come again. We believe that you are the Son of God and the Savior of the world. We believe that your death covered the sin of the world and that through your sacrifice, all creation is made new. This morning, we pray for courage to commit ourselves to your service, to commit ourselves to following you anew. Hear our prayer and fill us with your spirit that we might fill the world with your love and your light. Amen. This podcast is a ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta. Come join us Sundays at 189 Church Street, Marietta, Georgia, or visit us online at fpcmarietta.org.